Connection, glad you're here. I'm Mike Davis, lead pastor, and of course the fellow leading us in our worship experience with Matt Griswold. If you have your Bibles, I would like you to open them to Luke, the 10th chapter. If you have your Bibles open to Luke, the 10th chapter, I'm going to read out the New Living Translation. It may be different than your translation. Uh, I use it not because it's the best study translation. I've said this many times, but I use it because it's easier for people to follow, okay? And where there's something I need to explain in regards to Hebrew, Greek, I usually do that. But many people do not carry Bibles at church. And if you don't have your Bible, we'll have the words on the screen in just a little bit. Um, let me go back to that video, okay? <laughs> do you think that, that fellow deserved what he got? Okay. I mean, uh, if you had a dot like that, would you use it for selfish purposes? Okay, uh, today in the scriptures, okay, we're in Luke, the 10th chapter. We've done the first nine chapters. Man, we've spent a long time. We started this the Sunday after Easter. I think that was in May, and we're only to chapter 10. We've done nine chapters, so I got a feeling we're going to take all this year to finish Luke, okay? Some of you saying, oh, my goodness. But I'm trying to give you some insight, really taking our time going through it. Though Sometimes I think I'm just flying so fast. I know some of you saying, no, you're not fast enough. But, uh, but we, we've, we've talked about Luke, why he wrote. He wrote this 29 years after Jesus had left the earth, so it's very current. Now, you might say 29 years is a long time for writings of antiquity. People who study that in academia, in the educated world, would tell you 29 years is like a day. It's very short. They're used to looking at things that are 500 years 300 years, 1,000 years later, the first recorded history of events that now people will teach in our public schools. Things I taught at Wren Lake in that history course that I taught from time to time, things I taught there had less, less written proof than things Luke is talking about, okay? And so I've talked about that. Luke is carefully investigating the things he's writing about. In other words, that means Luke didn't live with Jesus. Jesus had gone back to heaven before Luke is doing this. Luke is traveling around the area Jesus did. He's going to the towns. He t must have talked to Mary about what she experienced, the shepherds. He goes to the places where people are healed. The important thing about Luke, again, is Luke is a medical doctor. He's a man of science. He's an intellectual person of his time, maybe one of the most intellectual people. So he knows about people's ailments he knows how people get pregnant he knows all those things and so you can imagine when he hears somebody saying man i couldn't see but then i could when when mary said you know i was pregnant but i hadn't had any sexual experience with with joseph any man you know luke's got to investigate and he is and he says the reason he's investigating because a man by the name of theopolis apparently has sent luke probably paying the money okay and he's writing back. If you read the first chapter, verse 3 and 4, he says, I'm, I'm carefully investigating this so you can believe what you have heard, Theopolis, that you can know it's true. So we're doing that. Now listen, we're going to be moving away from probably me sharing new things out of history and, and maybe getting you impressed that there's a little bit of history perspective to look at for proof of what is being written, okay? Because we're going to get into some very strong teachings. Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem. He's been in the northern part of Israel, Galilee. Jerusalem's in the southern part. Jesus is saying things that are causing religious people to be upset. 
And that's why he's way away from Jerusalem and from the temple, because they'd be killing him sooner. And Jesus is imparting some truth to those who follow him. Okay? And you remember in the ninth chapter, it says Jesus had set his sights to go to Jerusalem. And he's going to take a matter of months to get there. I mean, he said that in the ninth chapter, and we're going to go many, many, many chapters as he moves to Jerusalem, okay? And what he is doing is he's saying some very important things. And that may bore you, because we like the flash. We like the discovery of facts that prove. And Jesus is going to talk about a faith relationship with God. He's going to talk about... Look, this guy on the video had opportunities before him because he was gifted with that dot. And Jesus is going to talk about the opportunities that are before you. And it's important we listen to it. If you have your Bibles open to the 10th chapter, I'm just going to read some of the highlights. 10th chapter starts out, Jesus sends out his disciples. It moves on. The next high point of some paragraphs, Jesus' prayer of thanksgiving, the most important commandment, there near the end of the 10th chapter, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're going to look at that next week. Uh, Jesus visits Martha and Mary. I'm going to look at that next week with the Good Samaritan, I think, okay? I mean, I planned that. It all depends on how far I get today. In other words, we see some of chapter 11, he's teaching about prayer. In chapter 11, Jesus and the prince of demons. So he's going to talk about that. Chapter 11, the sign of Jonah. Somebody says, can you believe in the Old Testament? Did Jonah really get swallowed by a large fish? Jesus says he did, so if it didn't happen, Jesus is a liar. I want you to understand that. That's why you got to read and meet the character of Jesus and see, is this the kind of character of somebody that's a liar? We're going to look at the sign of Jonah. We're going to look at receiving the light. He goes on, uh, Jesus criticizes the religious leaders. That may be good for us to hear who, are, who, who say, I'm serving God today. Are we like those religious leaders in our service? You know, some pastors can't get along because they're just like the religious leaders. Some church members can't get along. They're just like the religious leaders. And he talks about in the 12th chapter, a warning against hypocrisy, parable of the rich fool, teaching about money and possessions in the 12th chapter, be ready for the Lord's coming in the 12th chapter. We sung about he's coming. Uh, Jesus causes divisions near the end of the 12th chapter is a title that's in my Bible, and I'm just reading the titles that are here that, that whoever published the Bible try to give us some insight to what the verses are about. You see, we're going to be looking at these things. They aren't things of history. They aren't things of proof. They're things of faith. Please don't get bored. Listen very carefully. I'll try to make them applicable to life, okay? But before we get started, would you just bow with me for prayer? Father, may we today experience during the message, the sermon part, what we experience during the music part. Father, may the power that was felt as we sang the songs be felt as we look into scriptures. And God, may we hear your son's words that will change our lives. Some of us are so hardened, we're so hardened that we refuse by faith to step out on what Jesus says. Help us today to do so. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, our Deliverer, our Savior. Amen. So let's look at the first verse. Chapter 10, first verse there, okay? Bear with me. It says, the Lord now chose, look what he's doing, 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns 
and places he planned to visit. So Jesus is choosing 72. Just want to say real quick, he started choosing 12. We call them the apostles. That's what the Bible gives them the, the distinction as. But now, moving from the 12, who always were hanging out with him, he calls 72. And what I want to call attention to is there's no names here. These are just volunteers. Matter of fact, there's no qualifications here. There's no qualifications. Doesn't tell us he chose them because they were the husband of one wife, as some people would say. Doesn't say he chose them because they could quote a lot of scripture. Doesn't say he chose them because they went to the temple so many times. Doesn't say they have a lot of proof by their past. It just says Jesus chose 72 no names. And that's who God uses today, no names. Look, we're always, we're always talking about the people. You name the Billy Grahams, the Joel Steens, you name the Rick Warrens. See, we named, you name the Mike Davises, you know, all the famous people, okay? I'm going to tell you, you know who's going to impact your life. It may be a message from a Billy Graham or a Joel Steen or a Rick Warren or a Mike Davis, but it's going to be you. I talked about that last week. See, God uses no names. And what's he do? He's, Jesus is going to send these people out. And I want you to catch, just quickly, he says in pairs. It's important. Some of you are loners. Some of you could never join somebody else's ministry. Some of you can never become a volunteer because, see, you refuse to join. And Jesus sends them out in pairs. It's always good to come alongside someone. To work with someone. You know if Satan can, he will isolate you. He will make you all alone in whatever you seek to do and live. You might be a Christian. You may not be a Christian. Satan wants to isolate you. Jesus puts them in pairs. Okay, now look at verse 2. These were his instructions to them. Look at his instructions. Here it is. The harvest is great. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, before I send you out, I want you to understand there's a great harvest out there. You've got to see that because they're going to meet competition. We're going to hear Jesus talk about wolves in a little bit. They're going to meet people who want to stop them. Jesus says, here's my instructions. The harvest is great. In other words, there's a lot out there for us to reap. I want you to see that. I want you to understand that. If you don't have that vision, here's what happens. Today is all you see. Man, I had to put another chair out today. I had to set up another platform today. I had to get up early today. I had to do this today. Jesus wants me to forgive my wife today. You've got to understand there's a great harvest out there. And Jesus is calling attention to that. That's what's got to be the foundation that we see. We see connection. And being a Christian is all, not all about me. It's not all about what I can get by coming. It's about seeing the purpose I am being sent by Jesus. Not as pastor, but as a Christian. I am being sent to be a part of reaching that great harvest. That's what we're to do. Will you see that there is a harvest that is great before us? If we don't, listen, we will give up. If we don't, we will pull away. We will like to hang out with people who see the harvest, who always talks excitement about the harvest, but ourselves, we can't hang on very well because, you see, we refuse to see it. All we can see is our own little field, our own little concerns. Jesus tells them the harvest is great. There's a conflict there. You've got to see that. You've got to be careful of just getting caught up with yourself. There's a great opportunity before us. The harvest is great, but will I only see what I want to do? Look at your first blank on your message map. If you've got your message map, there's a page with blanks. We've got about five different blanks to fill in or six blanks. Look there at number one. I, I want to say this. I believe connection is the strongest, is in the strongest position that it has been for, for the five years of existence. 
I really do. I could stop and tell you, we've got people who show up. We've got people who fill in. Now, some of you, you can evaluate, and you look at the people who do not show up. You look at the one who let you down. You look at the one who failed. I'm telling you, we just have people to fill in. It is amazing, okay? I think we're in the strongest position. We have young folks coming alongside middle age and, and older folks. We have people who are getting involved. And I could talk about the different areas I was going to. I have a list here to talk about. Just don't have enough time to do that. But we have people who are taking advantage of the opportunity God gives them to be used in connection. For what purpose? Listen, to create an environment to reach that great harvest. That's what it is all about. Now look what he says. It goes on in verse 2. But the workers are few. See, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him. Two, I would recommend you underline the next six words. So when you read this two months from now or three years from now, you'll think about these words. Send more workers into his field. That's what we are to be concerned about. Look, these are the people he's sending out. And when he tells them the harvest is great, he's going to send them out to touch people's lives. He says, but I want you not to forget, you always got to be aware of being concerned that we need more workers. Our problem is we need more workers. Somebody goes to church and says, I'm tired of hearing you say, I ought to volunteer and do something. Yeah, you're selfish. Just be honest. I'm tired when you call me and say, can you help me? Because I'm selfish. I don't want to get out. See, we're selfish. Some of you don't want to admit that. You don't want to admit your sinfulness. And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you what. I'm choosing you 72. I'm going to send you out because the harvest is great. But I want you to understand, our problem is there's just a few workers. So on your way, while you're doing this, pray. Pray for more workers. You see, because more are always needed. I've told you before, connection's larger than it was before, and if we double in size in the next five years, guess what? We need more workers. See, we always need more workers, and if you don't want to hear that, see, then you're going to stop going to church because a church, God's family needs workers in your family. If mom's always fixing the dinner and the family's growing, pretty soon mom gets wiped out fixing dinners. For five isn't so bad, maybe, but 10, 15, 25 more people need to help and what do we say with families you know all of us ought to start doing something and jesus is saying pray for workers look at the second blank on your message map it seems that selfishness is always a battleground in our lives it is folks we get excited about jesus and then we get selfish i just don't want to anymore we get excited we get started but i don't want to anymore do you understand what you should be doing with the opportunities that are before you, you ought to be involved in helping to reach the great harvest. And you ought to be involved in giving yourself and praying for others to give themselves to be involved. See, you don't get laid off as a Christian. You know what? I've been doing it for six months or a year. I'll take a break. There's no layoff. Maybe you're not going to do this anymore, but you're doing something else. See, there's no layoff in the Christian experience. And he says in verse 3, now go. Okay, now that you know there's a great harvest, and you know as you're going, I want you to be praying for more workers. You see, because you and I impact people. You tell people how much you find fulfillment in serving God in what you're doing. Pretty soon they might want to come alongside you and be a, the second in a pair. But you always complain. Nobody wants to join you. You know, that's why, listen, be honest. Some of our children don't go to church today. They've grown up adults. 
They've heard you say, praise Jesus for saving me. Man, I, I don't like so-and-so down at church. I, why do they always ask me? And, do, and they hear all your negative. And they just say that's hypocrisy. He says, now go. And remember, the harvest is great. Be praying for more workers. Influence people. He says, and remember that I am sending you out, look what he says, as lambs among wolves. Any person that understands the sheepfold understands you don't send lambs out among wolves. Wolves that eat the lambs up. And Jesus said, that's what's going to happen. You're going to enter a world that's going to try to shut you down. And folks, it did then. It did then. The Roman government was so caught up with the struggle between Christianity and Jews that they drove them out of Jerusalem. They tore the temple down. Listen, we go out and you seek to be honest and somebody out at work is a wolf and they're telling you, you'll never get ahead if you're honest. You go to work and you do your job and there's a wolf there that says, well, I'm not going to do my job and you have to do my job. You see, wolves are out there. They keep us from being the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be. That's what they're doing. They're, they're just being used by Satan. You know, the sad thing is, maybe you and I sometimes plays a wolf to a lamb of God. We may be a Christian, but that lamb needs to hear the message of Jesus, needs to be involved in the connect group, needs to go out and help people. And you know what we say? We don't have time for that. We're going to go do this instead. And you see, we become a wolf that gets in the way. Now listen, if you hear this legalistically, you're not hearing me correctly. But he's saying you're going to go out there and there's going to be opposition to all you're trying to do in reaping this harvest. Verse 4, don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals. We heard this before. I'm not going to take much time. We heard this in chapter 9. All Jesus is saying, when you go out, you trust God to provide. That's what he's trying to say. And that's what we got to do. Look, I told you we're strongest position we've ever been in, folks. I could tell you some of the things that are tight with connection. What we've got to realize is we trust God to provide. Somebody says, when are they going to do this? Many times I say, in our Father's time. You know, the worst thing, I pray constantly about a permanent location. It's probably going to be 10 years yet before we get a permanent location. But I'm always saying to God, God, don't let me get caught up with somebody's ideal or my own infatuation of wanting that I move before your time. If it's to be six months, it's to be six months. But if it's to be the 10 years, it's to be 10 years. Don't let me get beyond. There's churches, large churches now, 15, 20,000 people that for years, for years, never had a permanent facility. They run 1,000, 2,000, okay? Somebody says, well, I don't understand. We weren't there, so we can't understand. I'm just telling you. This all is just saying you trust God. He says, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Now, what does that mean? You mean you don't say hi to somebody? He's trying to say, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. See, the harvest is great. We're to reach people for Jesus Christ, that they might live and love like Jesus in this world full of darkness. Be careful. Don't get distracted. All of a sudden, you're more caught up in this hobby than you are in reaching people. All of a sudden, it's more this TV program than reaching people. All of a sudden, it's more what you want instead of what God wants. Don't get distracted. Don't stop to greet anyone. Verse 5, wherever or whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. Now, let me tell you, I'm going really quick on this. I know he's just saying your purpose in reaching this great harvest is to bring peace into these people's lives. And that's our purpose. That's our purpose. We're not perfect people. We may hurt each other, but listen, the most important thing is I should bring peace into your life, and you should bring peace into mine. A family that understands that isn't arguing about where you park the cars or who gets to eat first. A family that does that isn't arguing about who's doing more than who, somebody else. 
family that wants to bring peace is always concerned about the other person. He says, when you go into a home, you first say, may God's peace be on this house. We live in a world full of conflict, folks. It needs peace. The worst thing that anybody could hear about connection is that we have conflict. Matter of fact, if you're a member of connection or you're thinking about it, before you can become a member, you have to sign a covenant. And in that covenant, it says you will not be divisive. That can be a reason for the lead team to ask you not to come back to connection. You don't like that? Go find one of those other churches. We are not going to be a church of conflict. And Jesus says, when you go, you say, may peace be on your house. Let's look at verse 6. If those who live there are peaceful, look what he says now. If they're willing to accept peace, be peaceful. He says, the blessing will stand. If they are not, the blessing will return to you. In other words, if they'll respond to what you're bringing into their life of peace, they will get the blessing of peace. If they don't respond, they won't. I don't know how many times I've seen someone who begun, they felt the pull of what Jesus wanted to do in their life. They got started, but somewhere they refused. They turned away, and they began losing the peace. They began losing that security. I'm telling you, you want to know if depression is going to take you over? Get alone. Think it's all about you. Start pulling away and quit being in a pair. Quit coming alongside and working with someone. Give all the reasons you want why you do that. But you start all of a sudden not feeling the peace of God. See, he says if, if they don't receive it, then, then the blessing won't stand in their life. That's what happens to you and I. You can't make people receive peace from God. You can't. You can't make adults do what adults won't do. You can't. And if you don't want to receive peace from God, you will not get peace with God. There are people who do not care about what Jesus wants. They're only going to do what they want in their lives. If you talk to them, always they're talking about the conflict. They don't have much peace. He goes on in verse 7, don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. He talked about this in chapter 9. He's saying, don't get around trying. Man, now these people are better off in their house, and they want me to come over and live with them. He's saying, listen, you find a place, you serve there. You know, it's not a matter, can you, improve, can you improve who you get to stay with? What he's trying to say is, you just trust God to take care of you. He says they deserve their pay. See, that's what, that's what a pastor ought to do. He just trusts the people to provide for him. You know, we got this thing. Pastors like to move from one place to another. Traditional church, that's what they do. This missional movement is coming across America. Pastors are staying put. They're saying, this is where God calls me, and he gives me more people. I'm staying put because this is where he wants me to be. And they do. And that's what he's telling them. Just stay put and do your work. Okay? In verse 8, he says, if you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. In other words, when you're in relationship with these people, listen to me, you tell them the kingdom of God is here near you now. In other words, make visible, listen to me, make visible to people the kingdom of God through your life. That's what he's saying. Let people begin to comprehend the kingdom of God in their mind by the words you say. And that's what we're to do. You see, sometimes we want to play church, and we just want to see a lot of people come, but we don't think, am I really making the kingdom of God known? Look, we're not a church so that we can have a great Sunday morning experience. 
We are a church so that where we go this afternoon, we take and let people feel the kingdom of God through our actions. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You know what's great? Somebody told me this morning, I'm hearing this more and more. Somebody said, somebody come up. Go attending another church. Says, are your people doing this? What? No, they said, what's the name of your church? Connection. Are your people doing this? There are more people now that are saying, I'm seeing people from Connection doing this. Remember what I told you. I want where we work people to say, you know, I know what church you go to. You go to Connection. Where you go to school, I want people to say, I know what church you go to. You go to Connection. I want when you go play, when you're on the golf course and you hit that ball, man, it slices terrible. I want people to say, yeah, I know you go to Connection. You're not going to let that bother you. See, I want, I want us to bring the kingdom of God into this world, folks. We tend to say we're going to bring it here on Sunday morning. God sends us out. Jesus is sending these people out to make the kingdom of God visible before the people who they relate to. Verse 10, but if a town refuses, now look what he says, but if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you and your fate. And know this, the kingdom of God is near. I've talked about this. Don't want to take a lot of time. This is just saying this. When you meet some people and they refuse to respond, don't get depressed. Don't think you're a failure. Just in a sense, dust off your clothes and say, okay, then you're left to your faith. Kingdom of God is near, but you don't want to respond. And go on to the next one. I've told you before. There are so many people that my life touches in regard to connection and in regard to what Jesus is seeking to do just through me. And I'll give my time to people. But you know what? Some of them have been Christian for many years. Some of them are new. I start with them, and they sense what God is doing. They know the kingdom of God is near. They're feeling it in their life. They're experiencing the peace. And then they just shut off. They say, I don't want it anymore. I don't want to go through what's required for me to feel this. And you know what's required? It's disciplining yourself to give time to be with the Lord, to be with the people of the Lord. And they pull back, and it crushes my heart. I'm telling you. But you know what I have to do? I still say, how you doing? I'm still concerned. And if ever it could start again, I'm willing. But I have to move on. I have to move on, see? Because, you see, if people refuse to accept what you got, he tells these people, move on. And you know, some of you, you'll come, you'll tell me you're depressed. You'll tell me you got financial problems. You'll tell me your marriage is having trouble. And I'll say, how about if we sit and talk about that? And we'll talk about it. And you'll hear and you'll say, yeah, I know. But then you say, I don't want to continue. I don't want to receive it. You see, the kingdom of God is in how we respond to our mates. The kingdom of God is in how we handle our finances. The kingdom of God is in, in how we control our thoughts, what we allow ourselves to think in regard to what Satan is bringing to us and the wolves are bringing to us. Listen, we got Angela Closter over here. She's got her baby, Benjamin, here. Okay? Let's see, if I get it right, Julia says, Benjamin, Benjamin. Okay, I just call him Big Jim, okay? She's got Big Jim in her arms. I've watched as we've sung. You know, she was standing with Big Jim, and he, look, he's just cuddling to her heart, and she's just going like this. Feels good, doesn't it? What age is he going to start pushing away from her? <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? And it'll crush your heart. And if he ever pushes away in rebellion and chooses to do the wrong thing, it's like he's walking all over her. See, that's what God is. God picks you up and he brings you close to his heart. And man, he's just enjoying you and you're enjoying him. But somewhere you get too big. 
And you push away. And you say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it concerning my finances. I don't want to hear it concerning my marriage. I don't want to hear it concerning my life. And you pull away. And you know what? You don't feel this anymore. Don't feel this anymore. Jesus says, man, if, if they refuse to listen, all you do is go out. And that's just an action. It's like wiping dust off. You say, I'm going to move on. Not because you're being mean to those people. But folks, you can't make adults do what adults don't want to do. And it don't do any good to throw guilt and shame on them. And if you're hearing guilt and shame here, you're not hearing this in the spirit. I'm hoping you hear conviction that says, why don't you get back in? Why don't you come back to where Jesus wants you to be? In wherever you were when you felt the peace. But you move on. He says in 12, I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town on judgment day. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. Yes, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on judgment day than you. I ought to give more time, but all I'm going to tell you is Jesus saying, you know, I've went out and I've done tremendous supernatural things and people in those towns have never responded to me. Many of these towns that he's talking about that are still exist or was in existence at that time were up near Capernaum where Jesus, Peter's hometown, where Jesus did most of his ministry near that area when he was up north. And he's just saying people wouldn't listen no matter what I did. And I, I was there and did miraculous things. Uh, he talks about the two cities that were destroyed. That's during Ezekiel day. He said, if those people could see me today, they would repent. But you people don't. You people don't. That's what he's saying. The people in these places. And he's trying to say not everybody will respond. Not everybody will respond. Look at the next blank. When people reject Jesus, their future is full of conflict and destruction. When people reject Jesus, their future is full of conflict and destruction. I'm not talking about people who just say, I won't receive him as Lord, because there's people who receive him as Lord, and their life's full of conflict and destruction. What it is, they refuse to accept Jesus and his instructions for whatever their lives be. You take a job, how you ought to behave in a job. Uh, your mate divorces you, won't stay married to you. How will you react to that divorced mate, say? Your kid chooses to take drugs and alcohol, gets into some kind of compulsive behavior that hurts the family. How will you respond, see? Look, remember, he says, you just leave these people their fate. And I want you to know, people reject Jesus. Their future will be full of conflict and destruction. I could take time to talk about the conflict and destruction in marriage. I could talk about conflict and destruction in families. You see, because people just reject Jesus. That's what it is. And some of you know the conflict and the destruction that's in your life, the absence of peace, because you see, you're here today, but you're going to reject Jesus come another day. You're just going to say, I want nothing to do with him. You won't keep this in your life. See, people are full of their own vanity and pride, folks. And because of that, they refuse Jesus. They're going to live into themselves. He says in 15, and you people of Capernaum, will you... Will you be honored in heaven? Look what he says. No. Capernaum is where he, it was his home base for many months in his early part of his ministry. Peter's hometown, Capernaum. I talked about it when he, we were introduced to it earlier. He says, will you be honored in heaven? No. Will you go down to the place of the dead? No. No, you will go down to the place of the dead. 
And then he said to his disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me, and anyone who rejects you is rejecting me, and anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. What's he saying? There where his home base was, there where he did many miracles, he's saying you people would not become what God had intended. You wouldn't choose to follow me. Are you going to enjoy heaven? No. You're going to go to the place of the dead, the place of judgment. That's what he says. And he says to these people he sent out. Now remember, he's talking to the people he's sending out. You and I. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. So he's talking to you and I today. And he's telling them. He's saying, if they don't receive your message, they don't receive my message, so they don't receive God's message. And yet there's people who say, I can know God. I don't have to listen to what Jesus has to say. Liar. You're being deceived. You see, he's saying, if they won't hear the message you say about me, they don't hear my message. They don't hear my message, they don't hear God's message. In other words, people's futures are full of destruction and the absence of peace because they reject. You see, we've got one of two choices. We either can accept what Jesus says and what those whom he sends out says, or we can reject it. See, that's the choice. And each one have, has an end result. But we aren't to worry about the result. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. What we are to do, we are to look at the process of accepting the message. Because you see, today you may make that commitment to follow Jesus, but you've got to keep that process tomorrow. Because tomorrow your mate gives you trouble. Tomorrow the person at work gives you trouble. See, it's the process you've got to stay in. Leave the judgment of heaven and hell to God. What your message and my message is that we got to continue choosing that each day. And whenever I make the mistake and I don't in my marriage and I treat my wife, Laura, the wrong way, I need to say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me of that. And I need to say to Laura, I'm sorry. Please forgive me of that. Because, see, I will sin. So will you. God's mercy is great, folks. It will change your life. He offers it freely through faith in Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 17. When the 72 disciples returned, they, now they, when they come back, they joyfully, so he told them, he sent them out. Now when they come back, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, talking to Jesus, even the demons obey us when we used your name. In other words, they come back and they say, hey, we got a good report. <laughs> and they talk about the good that's happened. That's what they do. They talk about the good that's happened. Now, I want you to understand, Jesus is going to give us some important information in the next few verses. I'm going to go through them sort of quick. The first is that demonic influence is real. I've talked about that before. I'm not going to talk as much about it this time. There'll be another day to talk more about that. Demonic influence is real. We tend to deny it because we're so scientific. We know better. And how do I say that? Because it says, they said even demons obeyed us when we used your name, okay? You will either accept what Jesus is going to say in the next few verses, this information, or you're going to just dismiss it. And I'm going to tell you, if you dismiss it, it's going to make you weak in some areas of seeking to live your Christian life. Demonic influence is real. Look, he goes on. Look at verse 18. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Second thing, Jesus is saying Satan is real. Satan is real. Now, I could talk about the devil. I don't want to talk about the devil today, but he's real. I just want you to understand, Jesus has said he's been defeated. 
Okay? So I've got to find out how was he defeated, and that's how I find victory over Satan. You see, some people live their lives as if Satan doesn't even exist. He's the enemy to Jesus Christ. Okay? He will tell you all sorts of lies. You can keep using that credit card, and your life will get better. And you buy that thing, and it's better for that day, maybe that week, maybe that month. But when the payments start coming, it's not better, is it? See, Satan's lie. You can have that sex inappropriately, and you can say it's better. And it may feel better when you have that sex. But it doesn't get better for you in life. You see, we've got to realize the liar tells us these things. And Jesus says, I want you to understand, Satan is real. Satan, he's going to be defeated. You can overcome him. Look at, he goes on in 19, he says, look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. So what is he saying here? He's saying, and this is just my synopsis, okay? You read some theological guy, and he'll have some. He's saying Satan is dangerous. You see, we normally don't like snakes and scorpions. I know some of you, you like them. I remember whenever I was down in Louisiana, a, a church contacted, uh, they, they called me because they wanted to have some help in growth. And so I, I flew in to Lafayette, Louisiana, and they picked me up. Well, by the, time, the months between when they called me and I got there, their pastor had resigned. So they let me live in the parsonage. Nobody's living in the parsonage. I mean, we're out in the country. We're out in the country of Louisiana, okay? Uh, Lafayette was the main city of the airport, but they took me out in the country. And they left me there in that parsonage. Nothing else but one bed, one TV. I think it was on, the, on a chair, okay, and, and a tray table. And food down the hallway in this long parsonage in the kitchen. Yeah, I don't know. Anybody could have knocked me in the head. You know, rednecks, okay. I'm, I'm from up north where people are decent, okay. And I can remember, I can remember, I'm laying in bed. I'm laying in bed, folks. Okay, and I looked down, and there's a scorpion walking across the floor. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what if I got out in the bed in the middle of the night? And I got my chair, uh, my shoe, and I squished that dude and flushed him down the commode. I feel so bad about that. I wish I would have brought it home for my family to see. Man, every day I'm taking my, before I put my shoes on, I'm hitting them on the floor. I'm, I'm shaking my pillow when I go to bed at night. I'm looking under my covers. Uh, and so I get up one night, and I'm heading toward, uh, it, I got that light there, and it's dark, so I head toward the kitchen. It's dark. I know by now where it is. And, and whenever I open the refrigerator door, I look back, and there's a scorpion just where I walked over. I, I kill that sucker. Put him in the john, okay? I get rid of that sucker. I wish I would have bagged him up and took him home to my family. Now, look, I'm not trying to pressure you. I'm just telling you, scorpions scare most people, <laughs> and snakes scare most people. Some of you, you, you play with a scorpion, you play a snake. But Jesus is trying to say, Satan is dangerous. That's what he's trying to say. Be careful. That's why we tell people, don't play with, with things that are like putting curses. Don't play with games like the Ouija board. Not because those things are going to control you, but because Satan will get the influence in your life. And he's dangerous. He'll get you believing things that you shouldn't believe. Okay? And some of you, your moms and dads and friends have you believing things that just aren't, Satan has fallen, he can be overcome. And Jesus is saying, but I want you to understand, Satan is dangerous. Now look, he says in 20, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Underline, if you would, the next eight words. What he says, he says, rejoice 
because your names are registered in heaven. I want to talk about that. He's saying, don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Look, there's some Christians who walk around with so much pride. Jesus delivers us. Jesus has power to heal. Jesus can keep the demons away. Jesus can, okay? Look, Jesus can do all those things. Don't get me wrong. But you know what? They rejoice in knowing that power. If you don't know that power, they will sort of, listen, I'm going to get into it next week. The idea of judgment, they'll move to judgment, and you're not as good as a Christian as they are. Okay? Jesus says, don't rejoice in what you see accomplished because you're living for Jesus. That's what he's saying. Don't rejoice because of what you see happening in your life because Jesus. What you ought to rejoice is that you belong in God's family. Do you hear me? And that's what you got to remember, because someday somebody's going to hurt you, and it's going to make you want to do the most sinful thing, and you may do it. And God wants to remind you, you're, you're my child. I've not neglected you. And if you don't understand that, if you don't rejoice in the security of that relationship with God, pretty soon you say, I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore. That was last week's sermon. Okay? He's saying, don't rejoice because what you can do. Rejoice because what has been done for you. So what he's trying to say is we should find joy in what Jesus has done for us, not what we do for Jesus. Do you understand that? Different motivation. We should find joy in what Jesus has done for us, not what we can do for Jesus. Now, please, he's telling them to do things in his name, but he's saying their joy ought to be in their relationship, their security. What has Jesus done for us? Jesus Christ has died on the cross so our sins can be taken away. What has Jesus done for us? He laid in the grave and he showed that he defeated death so that we might believe one day we will not remain dead, but we will live forever with Father and Son and Holy Spirit. What Jesus has done is he has gone back to heaven and he's preparing a place for us. See, that's what we're to rejoice in because some things in this life don't work out. The house gets a leaky roof. The car breaks down. You get fired from your job. But we've got to rejoice that we're still in relationship with God. And Jesus is gone and he's preparing a place for us. He told us that. Look on the screen. Look at John 3 or 14. Look what Jesus said. Don't let your hearts, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. That's heaven, folks, okay? If, look what he says. If this were not so, I would have told you. In other words, if heaven wasn't real, I would have told you, okay? That I am, I would not have, I, if this were not so, that's it. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? In other words, Jesus said, if heaven wasn't true, would I even bring it up? Look, somebody says, I can't believe in heaven. That's beyond me believing. I'm telling you, it's beyond my belief. It's beyond your belief. I told you I don't have as much trouble with people going to hell as I do people going to heaven because I don't think any of us deserve to go to heaven. I think we keep walking on the Lord at times. And yet God, in his mercy through what Jesus, man, at Calvary, what Jesus did for us, God says, you have security in me, not because of what you can do, but because of what Jesus has done. See, that's, and so Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And look what he says in verse 3 there. When everything is ready, I want you to know I will come and get you so that you will always, 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 always be with me where I am. That's what he says. See, he's just dropping bombs of great information on these people. Now look back in Luke 10, verse 23. Look what he says, or 21. At that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. 
Isn't that great statement? Jesus has his own joy. Look, Jesus was filled with joy of the Holy Spirit. Luke's got to be talking to somebody. Can you imagine? He's probably finding a few of these 72 that come back and heard these words. Let me tell you, Jesus talks to him, and he was full. We said, why are you so giddy, Jesus? Why are you so happy, Jesus? He says, man, I'm full of the joy of the Holy Spirit. Luke writes that down so he can give it to Theophilus. Because somebody's going to tell Theophilus the Holy Spirit is real. Most of us don't even know much about the Holy Spirit. Hey, the joy of the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Godhead. I've talked more about that with you folks through Luke. He's the third person of the Godhead. God as Holy Spirit who comes and lives in us. And he why does he come to live in us so that we got to not touch things and not see things and not say things? No, he comes to live in us so we can have joy. That's what it is. He comes and lives in us so we can experience joy in our lives. You and I, if we're not careful, we try to manufacture that joy. You can't because your, your mate might betray you and leave you or have an affair. Your children will spit in your face, maybe not literally, but by their actions. They will tell you you don't know they do when you know what they know is wrong. Hey, you can't manufacture that joy. It comes from the Holy Spirit. That's why it's important. The Bible talks about meditating upon God's Word so that the Holy Spirit can bring back to you what the crud in this world is trying to rob you of. Look on the screen. Look at Galatians 5. Paul tried to explain this about what the Holy Spirit is doing. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in us, he says. Look, he lists it. He says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. In other words, nobody would say we don't want anybody to love. Nobody would say we don't want anybody to be gentle. In other words, this is what the Holy Spirit does. You, some of you are saying, God, give me patience. I'm telling you, if you're Christian, it's already there in you. You're just not picking the fruit. You're not picking the fruit. Satan is telling you you don't have it. You're saying, God, give me self-control so I don't say, say these things or see these things. You already have it. You just won't believe it. Just pick the fruit when you need it. That's all. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit brings these things. I had to memorize this. I had to memorize this because I said I couldn't help the way I acted because of the influence of my parents into my life, so she had to learn to live with it. What a lie. Jesus was experiencing the joy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings joy, whether it's in a sermon, a song, whether it's in we're going to take face down a little bit, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in a little child who holds close to your breast, whether it's in a job well done, the Holy Spirit brings joy. The world will seek to rob you of all that joy. You cannot manufacture it. Be careful. You and I grieve the Holy Spirit when we think we're the key to experiencing joy. If I'll learn so many verses, if I'll go to church so many times, if I'll help so many people. Look, look there, look at Ephesians on the screen. I'm sorry, we just don't have time to turn the Bible. Look what Paul wrote in Ephesians. He said, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. How? By the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own. In other words, that's that assurance Jesus says we should have. Don't rejoice in what you can do. Rejoice in what God has done through Jesus. See, remember, he has identified his own. 
guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. That's the assurance. Look what he says in 31. So what do we do in regard to knowing we belong to God? Get rid of bitterness, all bitterness. Rage. Get rid of anger. Get rid of harsh words and slander. Man, how many of you have ex-mates and all you do is speak harsh words? Shame on you. You know what the Bible says? You will receive the very words you speak. Shame on you. Look, look, and it, your boss, the person you work with. Look, he says, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behaviors. Why does he say get rid of these? You see, the Holy Spirit's seeking to produce joy in you, love, peace, joy, all those things, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, those things. And what happens is the things that will hinder you from experiencing joy in those things are these things he's describing? But you keep saying, I can do it if I want to. I'm telling you, I can't convince you any different. It crushes my heart sometimes. I just have to leave you to that kind of action. I don't like it. My wife can't make me change. Laura will tell you, for the early years of our marriage, all she could do was pray. I was not kind. I was the one with my compulsive behaviors. She grew up as a compliant child. The oldest of four, obedient. I'm the baby of 14. I'm a spoiled brat. Opposites attract, don't they? And she, later we talked about she, I said, what'd you do when we was doing I prayed, Mike. Man, I just talked to God about you. Because these things will rob you of joy. Look, he says in 32, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted. Look at this, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. See, these are the things that make it possible for the Holy Spirit to bring that love, peace, joy, and all those other things into your life. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That's where, where you'd get that word from if you look at a different translation. Don't bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. Let him bring the joy into your life. Look at, on your message map, next blank. Many hinder joy in their lives and the lives of those around them. You think your kids want you hurting mom? You think your kids want you hurting dad? Many hinder joy in their lives and the lives of their, those around them because they refuse to be kind and forgiving to those who have wronged them. No, we can't go to Grandpa. Why, Dad? Why, Mom? No, I can't do that today. Why, Mom? We'd all be happy. They, many hinder the joy because they refuse. They refuse to be kind and forgiving. Look, he goes on in 22. And he said, now look, look what he's saying. It's almost a prayer. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Now, somebody says, God's hiding things from people? I want you to understand. Right now, I have spent, what, 45 minutes talking to you, okay? And some of you still don't understand. And it's as if God has hidden it. He didn't hide it. You rejected it. You rejected it. Or it's going to come, and Jesus says, it's like a seed being cast. What's going to happen is Satan's going to come and take it out of your heart, out of your mind, after this worship. You see, it's not that God on purpose hides it from you. It's that you refuse to see it. You refuse to see it. 
And so what it is, you want to find the answers, but you won't find it because you refuse to accept what Jesus is saying. Others of you are finding answers. You are discovering a way of life that is so liberating and free. That's what Calvary was all about. It brought liberty to us. But those who refuse to accept what Jesus says, they won't find the answers. Some of you are. You're finding the answers. Oh, life's still the struggle. Doesn't mean there's no conflict in your life, but you're finding the peace and the joy different times that Jesus that the Holy Spirit brings into our life now look at 22 my father has entrusted everything to me look what he says no one can know after he prayed he says the father's entrusted everything to me no one can know the son except the father in other words only from Jesus can we know the father somebody says you're saying Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with God the creator I did not say that that's what Jesus said Luke 10 22 okay I understand when somebody tells you that so other religions got to be right say why have you just created your own doctrine where does that come from well everybody says no one religion can be right jesus said my father has entrusted everything to me no one truly knows the son except the father and no one truly knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chose to reveal let me stop real quick i want to get to this end but let me say this jesus in chapter somebody says you know we hear the word trinity and i don't use the word trinity a lot because people argue with that and i use the term godhead Okay, the Godhead is God Father, God Son, God Holy Spirit. Jesus in Luke 10 has talked about God as Father, first person. Jesus, not me, Jesus in Luke 10 has talked about God as Son, second person. Jesus has talked about God as Holy Spirit, third person. Jesus has described to us the personality of God as Holy Spirit, he says it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to experience things like joy. It's much greater now, but things like joy. As the Son, he says, it is, or as the Father, it is the Father who reveals to the Son. And he says, as the Son, it's the Son who reveals to us all about what the Father wants us to know. In other words, follow Jesus and you get to know God. Refuse to follow Jesus and you'll follow some kind of God. Jesus has put all these things together in this one chapter, and it's other places in the Bible. For all eternity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were in a good relationship with each other. Jesus never felt separation from the Father until he went to Calvary, went to the cross on Calvary. That's why he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the first time he ever felt the Father turn away, and the Father did. We'll get to that when we get to Luke. Because Jesus bore our sins. The first time, if we could use our words, the most at peace person who has ever existed is God. And he offers us that kind of relationship with him. Look at the last blank on your message map. When you get to know the Father through the Son, okay? When you get to know the Father through the Son, then the Holy Spirit will bring, will bring that peace into your life. You do not generate that peace. It comes from God alone. I want you to understand that. A lot of you trying to manufacture, if I'd be a better person. Listen, we ought to learn to discipline our lives based upon what Jesus' word says. But I'm telling you, you cannot generate goodness in your life. That comes from God as his spirit empowers you. Look at 23. Let's, let's finish this, 23 and 24. Then when they were alone, he turned to the disciples and said, 
Blessed are the eyes that have seen what you have seen. I tell you, many prophets and kings long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. What is Jesus telling them? He's saying, listen, the things you have heard people throughout time have wanted to know. People with power have wanted to know what you have heard said today, what you have seen and what you have heard. And Jesus said, now I've made it so you could see it and you could hear it. And folks, there are people in the world, maybe you're here today and you're saying, man, I wish I had that relationship with Jesus. Today you have heard it, and I hope through some of my illustrations you've seen it. God loves you. He is reaching for you through Jesus. Become a follower of Jesus. That's what I invite you to do. Call on him to be Lord of your life and commit yourself to follow him. And God's spirit will bring into your life the promises that come out of the scripture. Today we're going to take face down. Okay? When we take face down, we're going to take elements. We're going to take juice and we're going to take bread. Why do we do this? Because Jesus said his children should do this. Okay? So in a little bit, we're going to offer this. The bread, listen to me, the bread represents his body that was given on, on the cross of Calvary so that our sins could be forgiven. The blood represents his blood, or the juice represents his blood. The Bible, Jesus said this, it represents his blood that was shed so that your sin would be washed away. And when you take the bread and you take the juice, Paul wrote, you're acknowledging what Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, what Jesus Christ has done for you. And I invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I invite you to take face down with us today. Okay, I'd like those who are going to serve face down, just come on, take your position so they can see that. Here's what we will do. <coughs> excuse me. Whenever I'm finished, this group of people are going to sing a song. The song is just background. When you get finished or if you haven't taken face down yet, just listen to the words. Powerful song, okay? But when you feel the right time, you just get up, you come, you pull a piece of bread off, you just dunk it in the juice, and just you can eat it here, take it back to your seat, whatever. But when you do, I ask you to remember to think and to thank God for what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross at Calvary. You come now when you're ready. <laughs>